Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Dean from Tennis Park of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, I'm happy to have on my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink, join me on this episode. We also have a former colleague of Steve's, Brad Faulkner. Both Brad and Steve worked together at Tennis Channel during the years of 2007 through 2014. Also both worked together at Tennis Week as well. Thrilled to have Brad join us today. So let's get right at it. Brad Faulkner, welcome in. Thank you very much, David. This is a real pleasure. As you know from uh, Twitter, I'm a huge fan. I'm always like, you know, I think I like the podcast more than Steve does. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Hey, I know you and Steve have quite a history um, together. So talk a little bit how um, you guys got introduced. I believe it may have been even before Tennis Channel. So uh, Correct. Talk yeah. a little bit about that and talk about maybe some some interesting stories the two you may have. Oh, happy to, uh, David. Um, well, probably like you, as a kid, I grew up reading uh, Tennis Week magazine, World Tennis before then, and tennis. So I was familiar with Steve's stories. And I would pretend like I was doing homework, but I'd have Steve's article or one by Bud or Lupica. It, and I'd pretend like I was studying, but I was reading Steve's work and the other great writers of that era. And that's how I kind of was introduced to him. But when I physically met him for the first time was Wimbledon in 2003. Uh, I got a credential from Tennis Week magazine. Steve will tell us a little bit about this later. I had to um, interview Justine Hennen, a follow-up to an interview I had done with her in Charleston. And they said, well, your, your desk is going to be next to Steve Flink. And I said, really? Oh, that's cool. And they're like, uh, well, you should know something. I said, no, what? They're like, well, he's, he's kind of grumpy. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what, like today? No, 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 no. In general, he's very serious. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, what? Yeah, well, good luck. I said, well, thanks. So I was very, very nervous to get to, to meet him. I was scared stiff. But he was really nice. Thank God. Thank God, right? Thank God. I was and he kept the David. friendship alive, obviously. Yeah, listen, David, I just brief interjection here is that, that Brad is is he's always been one of these guys who's very earnest, but he's also very a, a, a earnest and decent and he would never expect the worst out of anybody. So he True. was he was susceptible to pranks like that. <laughs> so that that let me just throw that in and Brad, you continue. Yeah, well, well you see, before Brad, before Brad, you continue. I guess if if uh, if Brad didn't do very well in school, I guess he's going to blame you and Lupica and a few others. Steve. That's right. Yeah, David. He'd have, listen, David, he'd have every right to. We kept him from his work, which in some ways I feel guilty about. On the other hand, I'm, I'm flattered that he would be reading all of us, and <laughs> and I, and I did pretty much the same thing when I was growing up too. I wasn't paying as much attention to the courses as I should have been. <laughs> I was so immersed in in tennis. Got it. Uh, so, Steve, something tells me David probably had the same habit when he was in school. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. He, he, Very he, much he, so. Don't tell my parents, though, because they listen to this. So let's keep oh, that shoot. quiet. Well, my um, mom won't tonight. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so, but, so you, uh, but David, let me just throw in one other quick comment. I'd like Brad to talk a little. It was a fascinating time for him to interview Justine Ennett because true. Justine has come off winning the French she, her, her first. She's beaten Serena in a controversial match in the semifinals because in the final set, there was this, there was, it, it, Serena was up 4 2 30, love rolling. It looked like she was going to win. 
uh, Justine put her hand up to indicate she wasn't ready, but the umpire didn't see it. So Serena served a fault, but the umpire was now asking Serena to hit a second serve. And Serena was a little upset about that, trying to tell the umpire, but she put her hand up. Justine didn't really fully acknowledge it. And eventually came back, broke, and won the match 7-5 in the third. Now, now, she caught a lot of flack for that. And Brad was able to interview her on the heels of that at Wimbledon, on site at Wimbledon. So tell that story, Brad, about how sure. we, conferred, we conferred on a few of your questions. <laughs> What it was like to talk, what, what it was like to talk to Justine at that time, and, okay. and let something of a sympathetic voice because she had caught so much flack. And well, even, uh, <laughs> even Serena had said, I should just preface this, David, by saying Serena, to her credit, never claimed that that gesture, the fact that Justine had put her hand up, had cost her the match. But the media came down hard on Justine, and it was replayed a lot on television. And I think it was a very painful moment for her to, ha to have people uh, be so critical of her at, at a time when she was making a major breakthrough in her career. Talk about that interview, yeah. Brad. Yeah, well, I, I, I concur in spades. It, and Mary Carrillo, who was commentating on the match for NBC, had Steve's uh, same outtake or outlook on it as I did, that it, that it, was, it was confusing, and rightly so, as Steve set it up. So... <laughs> Uh, we needed clarification because Serena wasn't upset. And like Steve said, Serena said it didn't cost her the match. So I knew that was a critical question. And I said, Steve, look, I want to, I have to plagiarize. Just write it for me. Or tell me how I should write the question. Because I, and I did, whatever Steve said, it's in, um, it was a Q&A article, David, for Tennis Week. Uh, Roger's on the cover because he won Wimbledon that year. Unfortunately, as you know, Justine did not uh, ever win Wimbledon. So that week of that edition of Tennis Week, Roger's on the cover because he got his first one. And I, it was a Q&A. And I said, Steve, just tell me how to ask the question verbatim. And I did. Um, because and, and, the, and the offshoot of it was that it, the way Brad related to me, David, she really appreciated somebody who had sort of an understanding and realized that she had not meant to cause any real trouble. And, and, and so suddenly instead of a reporter be, coming at her with a lot of skepticism, Brad was coming at her with compassion. Right. So I, I just wanted to help him set up a question that would allow her to answer it comfortably and not feel like she was under siege. Right. I think it worked out really well, but I also want to just add, and Brad can talk about his impressions. That was a good get, as they say in the trade, for Brad mm. to get that interview in the middle of Wimbledon. They don't, the players don't do many of those during, during a major. He managed to get it, and I think Tennis Week was thrilled that Brad could, could get that time with her and really happy to have that interview printed in the next issue. What were your impressions of her, Brad, at that point, of Justine in that interview and just overall uh, your feelings about her as a champion and a yeah. person? And well, a as a person, as a person, I'll go first. Shy, honest, understated, empath, empathic, and and, and sympathetic. Um, she's a nice person. We were never buddies. Um, she was nice enough when the article came out in Tennis Week. As Steve will tell you, in those days, David, he'd get lucky and like he'll be at a tournament, and maybe uh, an article you've written comes out and the. Well, the players, um, whether they're an Adidas player, Justine was with Adidas, 
Adidas loved it because I believe it was the first real, mm, besides her uh, getting to the final and losing to Venus at Wimbledon, uh, but this was some, some nice recognition with Justine and photographs um, that Adidas liked. They liked that. They didn't have to pay for the ad. So it was well received by Justine and she said, thank you. I thought it was a great article, but it's really not a great, it's a good article. It's a Q and A. Right. So half of it's her words. The other half are my questions plus Steve's and a brief intro. So she's modest. She's a humble champion as a player. They used to talk about her backhand in those days as her best shot. But as Steve can tell you, the forehand, um, all the work she put in, the forehand was equally formidable uh, by the mid-2000s, in my opinion. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Great player. And wish, wish you would have hung around longer, Brad. Because oh, we, we could have potentially had a really remarkable rivalry between her and Serena. She could have been oh. the rival that helped to define Serena's career even more. Uh, Steve, I think you mentioned that same thing when we had Mary Carrillo on, that you were hoping that uh, Justine could have hung around a little bit more, give Serena more of a rivalry, mm -hmm. would have even pushed yeah. Serena to, to maybe even possibly a higher level. Um, God, they were fun to watch. Oh, she yeah. was fun to watch, period. Oh, man. I, mean, I, 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 I want to go into, because this, this was interesting to me, you know, you guys worked together at Tennis Channel during the years of 2007, 2014. You had the prime of the trifecta of Roger, Rafa, yeah. and Novak. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, seven, obviously, Novak was just really getting started. But those yeah. years, I mean, my gosh, did you guys see some battles. At that point, David, at that David, time, uh, did you? Just briefly, briefly. Before you finish the question, also, Brad was obviously looking at it from a different perspective. I was out there writing and we were colleagues to be sure, but Brad was, he, he's going to tell us some interesting stories, I hope, about his interactions with those players because it's different <laughs> from the TVN than it is necessarily as a reporter, as he found out from his transition from those writing days to working behind the scenes with the channel. So go ahead, David. Yeah. Sorry, I wanted to throw that in. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you you had the prime years of this trifecta. There's no way you could have thought to yourself in, in 2022, uh, they were still playing at this, yeah. you know, at, at this yeah. slam level as far as what, yeah. 22, 21, and yeah. 20, whatever the tally Absolutely. is now. Yeah. Um, when you looked, and, and I'll bring it up because it's so recent, the Labor Cup, um, and you saw the Roger and Rafa um, relationship that developed through the course of their careers. And, and Steve, I want your take on this too. We talk about Martina and Chrissy, how friendly they were. Um, that didn't happen till later on in their careers. Roger and Rafa, it happened pretty, I mean, it was pretty quick when they started competing against each other. Have you ever seen, I'll start with Brad and then we'll, we'll talk yeah. to Steve. Have you sure. ever seen uh rivals and this is an individual sport it's not teammates being very close these are sure. opponents and heated sure. rivals have sure. you ever seen whether in any anything sure. any sport like this where you have two the very <clears throat> best the very very best and yet they respect and get along with each other so well well the last part makes it different the respect and get along so part to me uh makes it kind of unique um, Steve can talk more about that because he was around with John and Jimmy and Steve will tell you Chrissy and Martina were really close then maybe there was some um, distance and then close again so I can only speak for myself they were they were yeah they got along 
I think the first time they played, Rafa beat him in Miami. It was like a second or third round. It wasn't the 05 final that you guys talked about. Right. Uh, it, it, the five setter where Steve said it was the only time he saw Rafa run out of gas. <laughs> so when Rafa beat Fed the first time they played on a hard court, we were like, hmm, it would have been 04. We were like, that's weird. But it happens. Um, and then it was, well, it was just so interesting um, that how did it happen so fast? And Steve can speak uh, better about that because it did take Racho, Rafa a while, obviously, to, to get the Wimbledon after the two finals where he was, he was close. And he, you know, especially, I think it was 07. And, um, but he, he, he figured it out. And then he got the Australian Open in 09. And that's when Roger, you guys, well, everyone's talked about it. It's killing me for good reason. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they seem to get along as friends. But I'll let Steve talk about the end of the rivalry because I stopped covering uh, professional tennis full time and uh, at the end of 14. So I'd be better if Steve could handle the end of the rivalry, if you don't mind. No, well, I think, you know, I think it went into, it's interesting, David, Brad alluding to the fact, Chrissy and Martina, who were doubles partners and so close, and they had to split the doubles partnership up because the singles rivalry was, was really developing and Martina was closing the gap. But then they, they never lost respect. And yeah, there were some difficult years in the middle when Nancy Lieberman was, was managing uh, Martina and overseeing all the coaching and, and training. Uh, but then, uh, uh, then over the years, that they became even closer again at the mm -hmm. end of their careers. It was a natural evolution. I think it's right. kind of with Raph and Roger. They had to get to know each other in those early yeah. years. They had a few. There were a few difficult moments, inevitably, like like a 2006 uh, Italian Open final, and Roger felt like Tony Nadal was talking too much during the match and complained. But a Steve, what a beauty that final was! Come on, it was a great final. Rafa saving a couple of match points and winning it in a fist set oh, tie. God, that was epic. One of their greatest matches. But there was definitely a little bit of tension after that one because Roger was upset about Uncle Tony, and then. Rafa was upset that Roger wasn't being more sporting about it, but those, they got past those moments so easily and so swiftly. And I think it was just the respect of, of competing for the most prestige. And when, when yes. you play, when you play three straight French open finals, 2006 mm -hmm. through eight, and those same years you're playing the Wimbledon final, anything like it. And how can you not respect each other that each guy is good enough to get to the final <laughs> on the other guy's surface surface. Yeah. So I think yeah. it, I think in some ways it was cemented at that time that this the, the immense mutual respect they had for each other. And then Brad alludes to the end. Yeah, by the end, they're both so grateful for everything they've been given in the game, everything they've achieved. And and I think they just had a simpatico by then, which is why Rafa went to Labor Cup when maybe he wouldn't have wanted to, given all the injuries he's had this year and right. his wife birth and he's flying over there and flying right back in a day it was crazy in a way but he did it because I, that was all out of respect for Federer and his career and the precisely that this precisely. was fair this was fair. Yeah, and, and I want to say this I want to say this Brad and I'll say it to Steve and all you New York Yankee fans are going to like this everyone's talking about it <laughs> Steve will love we're going to talk about 
you know, Derek Jeter's last game, he gets that game-winning hit, right? Then we have Derek on uh, Mariano Rivera, his last game. Who takes him out of the mound? It's Andy Pettit and Derek Jeter. But those guys were teammates. Rafa mm. and Roger were not teammates. That's what makes True. it so amazing to me. And then the last event they played together as doubles partners, I think that moment will go down as great as any other sports moment that's out that can compete with any other sport moment out there. You arguably have the two greatest tennis players of all time teaming up together in a very rare event in a sport where you typically don't team up. Right. Mm -hmm. And here it is a special, special moment. I'll take that Friday night Mm -hmm. and, and I'll I'll have that against any other wonderful sport moment that is. There is. I think it was that special. No, it was very poignant. And I and obviously they were then joined by Novak Djokovic as well, who got a little bit lost in the shadows somewhat unfairly, given the commitment he was making and the fact that he also thought, I think part of his reason for committing was in the back of his mind, he knew this could be it for Federer too. They yeah. all knew it. They, they all knew it. that chance. And so, uh, yeah, I think, I think it was the combination of the Rafa-Roger match itself the closing act being their doubles match and all of these players surrounding them all caught up in the emotion of it. That's what made it so remarkable. Brad, I want your take on this one. Um, You know, there is, there is Rafa and Roger. It's always Rafa and Roger and Novak is kind of like, he's, you know, he, he's also right there, but he's not Rafa and Roger, right? What's your take on him as, as far as him um, not really getting a fair shake, when people talk about how great Roger and Rafa is, obviously Novak, Novak is probably going to wind up yeah. with the most slams of well, the three. Yeah you, yeah, you just said the numbers don't lie. So a fair shake, uh, uh, statistically, yeah, I think he's done really well. Uh, <laughs> he has one less major than Rafa, but otherwise, I think statistically he has nothing to worry about. Um, I think he's a better tennis player. I think. Uh, But from the fans or the media, just the treatment that Novak gets. Oh, I think it's too bad. Um, I think that it's impossible because essentially you've got, it's like Lennon and McCartney. Now, George Harrison was equally as talented. You could argue more so. When the Beatles broke up, George Harrison came out with a triple album. But it was always um, John and Paul. I think the same could be said with Roger and Rafa. Uh, it's not to diminish George Harrison's skills or abilities because uh, Djokovic is more prolific. And I think George as a solo artist was more prolific. But the media and the uh, fans, well, they, they grew up with more Roger Rafa because that started in, when Rafa came on the scene. So in 04, when he clipped Roger at Miami and then all the defeats that he handed him at the French, Roger beating him at Wimbledon and other places across the globe. Novak didn't get on the board till much later. So that was already the established rivalry. It would have been as if um, Tracy with uh, Martina and Chrissy didn't get injured. And Steve, you answer that. Would it be like that in the sense that she'd have to play catch up? Tracy, yeah. Tracy, it's true, but Tracy, she did get on the board very early by beating Chrissy. In the okay, that part, Steve, sorry. But, but she was Steve, 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 but, Steve but what Chrissy, I mean is, yeah. Right, she got there late to the party. Yeah, she did, and and but but I don't think she had as big a problem as Novak. Is my point. I I think that Tracy was. Oh yeah, as far as popularity. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think she was appreciated for her grit and, and her drive, her determination, so many great competitive qualities, and right. didn't, didn't have to carry the baggage the way Novak did. Precisely. Following the footsteps of Rafa and Roger. But here's my, here's what I think, Brad, and you, you chime in right after us. I think what, that it's likely that Rafa retires before Novak. Oh, I think yeah. Pretty good odds. Then, if Novak can have a year or two of still succeeding, at least winning some majors, or I believe that the crowds then will, will give him a brand of support that he has never seen or felt before. Because I sure hope so. <laughs> because they're going to realize, at that point, they realize, wait a minute, this really is the end of this generation. We yeah, saw precisely. Roger retire emotionally. Whenever Rafa does it, it's also going to be just overflowing with emotion and the great sentiments for him and his character. And so then Novak's going to be left out there on his own, still competing against the younger players. And I think at that point, the crowds are going to rally around him at least to a degree. I, I think he's going to feel it in, in a way that he sort of felt it when he played Medvedev in the U.S. Open final, going for the Grand Slam in 21 and not succeeding but the crowd showering him with a lot of affection and made him break down in tears. I think we'll see more of that in Novak in the future. Do you think so, Brad? I sure hope so. Uh, because to your point, I completely agree that he will outlast Rafa. He's a year younger. Um, that actually, it, it might be a little significant because maybe Novak only plays two years longer than Rafa when and if, well, when Rafa hangs it up. So he's got that going for him. And of course, because um, they'll love to see the, the the veteran, especially against a guy like Carlos Alcaraz, who basically is is like a Novak in the sense he can do it all. There's no everyone's like he has no weakness and he's young, so that'll be fun and they'll love it. They'll love the Carlos Novak rivalry. I hope so because that's yeah. what they're getting. That's what I think they're getting, Steve. Oh, I no, think no, no, that 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 if if. if. They can play matches anything like the one they played in Spain this year, Brad, that went to a final set tiebreak. And Carlos was on his great roll at that point and beat Novak in the yeah. semis. It was maybe the best Carlos and a very, very good Novak, not the best Novak. But it, it pretends what, what, it, what, it, what it tells me about the futures. They could have some blockbusters. And, they will be, they'll be crazy, Steve. They and, will and be. That'll be cross-generational, so the crowds will love but that. And, they're going to they're gonna have to insist on no ad scoring. It'll take forever. It'll take forever. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like every anything you can do, I can do better. It's going to yeah. be a highlight reel. We'll be spoiled. It doesn't matter the surface. He's got to catch up to him, Steve, on grass, don't you think? Oh yeah, no, that's where that's where yes, that's where Alcaraz needs to improve the most, but inevitably will. Particularly putting greater emphasis on the serve. His lack of yep has absolute lack of fear about coming forward as he showed at the open this year so he loves to volley and so he'll get a lot better on grass and so i don't worry too much about that but i just hope we get a couple of showcase matt over the next two three years that we can get four or five really memorable skirmishes between the two of them and i think we probably will that would be ideal i think we will too and brad i love the beatles comparison when you were talking about the three no i, I think it's spot on that's what i was kind of seeking um there's always one that's maybe a little bit on the outs a little bit right. not big exactly. but just on the i thought that was a great great comparison really but the weird thing really is i've never thought that. of it before but putting me on the, it's funny because i love the beatles and steve knows that i i never i guess because roger's 
I don't know. I just, I, that was natural. I hadn't thought of it. That's but great. I'm glad but, you like it. But <laughs> just, just briefly, the sad thing about the Navratilova Everett Austin trio compared to, to Federer and Nadal Djokovic is that poor Tracy basically was yeah. over by the time she was 20. Uh, because Steve, elaborate the, on why I, I kind of screwed it up. Could you just remind the younger viewers? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it, Tracy Austin comes along. You, you're not, not, Martina and Chrissy had already had their rivalry was already flowing very nicely starting in 73. And Tracy emerges later on in the 70s and wins her first major at 16. The U.S. Open beats both of them to win wow. her first at 16 in 1979. Two years later, does it again. This time just beats Martina, not Chrissy. And uh, so she had two U.S. Opens by the time she was 18 years old. But it was all downhill from there because her back was became a severe uh, problem and she had to retire so young and never won any more majors. And it, it would have played out, Brad, I think so much like Federer, Nadal, Djokovic in the sense that Tracy would have started winning clusters of majors and, and you would have had this great trio and she would have, her presence would have been good for Chrissy and Martina too, hmm. uh, for very different reasons, but we never got to see that. That, that was sad and unfortunate because I think it would have, it could have been very similar to what these three guys have done. If only Tracy could have played on into her thirties, the way they did. It's interesting. Hey, yeah. Brad, we have you on. So we want to do some quick hitters and just, it's going to sure. be uh, just random things out in the tennis world, different cool. years, some older, some current, but um, okay. we have you here. So we want to pick your brain. Sure. So the first yeah. one, the first one, now this is important. This depend. This could depend if we invite you back on again. So this is a very <laughs> important question. Are you okay. an Andre guy or a Pete guy? Both. Ah, plays it in the middle, Steve. We like that. We play it in the middle. Oh, like, right just there. quick, quick. You say quick, 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 like yeah, psychology, like you know, what do they call it? Free association. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I give could, me, give me, give me thirty seconds on each. Why? What do you like best about both? Well, the first time I saw Andre, I thought he was French. It was on TV. I think he was playing at Stratton Mountain in the eighties. Yeah. Could have been eighty-seven, eighty-eight. I'm like, this French guy can play. <laughs> This French guy, he's good. And his hair's cool because I had a mullet. I'm Andre's <laughs> age. I was born February of 70, Andre, April, late April of uh, 70 as well. Yeah. Love the denim jeans, love the, the, you know, inside out forehand. And I got this guy, this French guy is cool AF. I'm like, he's, a, who is, it? wow, he's cool. And then I found out who he was. Then Pete, you know, I didn't know much about him until the open in 90. And he like beats Lendl. That was a tough one. Then he beats John McEnroe, which yep. I thought good for either one of them because John hadn't been in the final or the last time he was in the final of the, of the US Open was 1985. So he's in the semis, uh, right, Steve? Was it semis against Andre? No, he beats Andre in the final. You're talking about, you're talking about oh, 90 John Open. Lee. The 90 yeah. Open, he beat Lendl, McEnroe, and Andre. Yeah. John, but, John I, was a semi, yes. John yeah, I got it right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because Lendl was was a five setter. I don't remember what John, but that was four. John was four. Because I thought it got easier. It was like five, four, three, three. Bam, it what, did. Exactly how it was. All right, hey, hey, Brad. If you if uh, you your life's on the line, you need one guy to serve it out. Are you going with Pete, Pete. Sampras or Pete? Pete against the field? Pete Roger close second, but Pete, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Jack I think there's a lot of Jack agreement Kramer, on that. If you want to do Pete, Jack. It would be Peter Jack. Um, Serena versus Steffi in their primes. 
What surface? Uh, we'll go hard court. Tie. <laughs> Next. Grass, Steffi. I, even though a lot of people just, well, okay. Let me, no. I, mean, I find clay. So, find okay. clay. They both wasn't their favorite service. Clay. Right. <laughs> okay. Steffi on, on clay. Serena on grass. And Ty on hard. That would be amazing on hard court. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, does he win a slam in singles? Nope. No. Steve, does he win a slam in singles? No, I, I thought at one time I was convinced he'd win a bunch. And I'm really impressed with the commitment we've seen this year, the mm. final Wimbledon. I think he'll make a go of it at Wimbledon again next year. And I think he's going to have some good showings. I don't think he's going to quite pull it off. It'd be, it, uh, that, that's my projection, too, at this point. All right, there's a two-parter, Brad. Does Rafa win another major one? And if he does, is it does he win something other than the French Open before he retires? No. Okay. So he may win one, but it'll be on clay. Correct. That's how okay. I would, I would, yeah. yeah. Steve, what about, what about? Yeah, it? totally in accord. I, I wouldn't be shocked at all it, it, if this coming year, if he somehow could get his body in order, even if his, his body's at 75%. Look what happened this past year. He was yeah. on, I mean, it should never have happened with all those injections, and yet he still wins his 14th convincingly. So I say, yeah, he could win a 15th this coming year. I think he needs to make, I think it needs to happen in 2023, but I think there's a reasonable chance that does happen, but I don't see him defending Australia, winning another Wimbledon or winning another Open. So I see it essentially the way that Brad does. Brad, favorite tournament to cover uh, as a full-time tennis writer and favorite tournament to cover as a fan, to watch as a fan? Fan Indian Wells, for sure. To cover Queens Club. Elaborate. Uh, Indian Wells, because if I said to, if a tennis, if all the big players can go, uh, it's like the U.S. Open, just enough smaller that you right. get, it's easier. It's not as um, stressful because yep. you, you can be at a hotel closer by. So it's logistically a better deal. And you get all the, you get everything the Open has, except for it's not a major. Right. What about Queens? David, David, just quickly, Brad, just Tell David the story of 2003 and uh, and Brad Gilbert and Agassi and Andy Roddick. Just oh, quick. Queens, you're talking to Queens now, right? Yeah. 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 Steve can talk more about Queens, but that I'll let him figure out if he wants to. What Steve's uh, referring to is that um, I was there in 03 and Roddick lost early uh, in the first week at Roland Garros. And he split with a coach that he had had great success with. Tariq Hababiles, yep. I might be butchering the last name, French coach. Yep. They were friends. They did well together, very well. Uh, and and um, they split. So Brad got uh, um, Brad Gilbert, sorry, Andy got Brad Gilbert for Queens, which is the first grass court tournament back then after uh, Roland Garros. And um, he won. He had some tough, you know, he had to deal with, I think, Krychek and, and guys like Groshan. But he, he comes up against double A, Andre Agassi in the semis. And you have to remember that year, Andre beat him in a three-set final at Houston yep. with Roddick up a set in the break, I believe. And Andre came back and beat him on clay in Houston. So here they are. They meet at the semifinals at Queens. And Brad's now in the box with, with, um, for Andy. And he sat in the press section. So we would hear him um, or just get to watch him coach. Well, he didn't coach like cheating, but just his emotions. <laughs> And he wore that Metallica hat back then. Yeah. 
Um, maybe he didn't have the Nike deal. I don't know. Or Reebok. I think he eventually became Reebok, but he was Metallica. It was a trial thing. Long story short, Andre, or sorry, Andy beat Andre in three sets. It was a great match. And then he went on to beat, I believe, Groshan in the final. Yeah. The bashing Groshan in the final of a grass Brad court. Faulkner, Brad Faulkner was right there alongside or right behind Brad Gilbert. Behind so, him. And, 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 and Brad Gilbert and Brad Faulkner have become good friends over the years, but that was when they met. And that was also, and Brad reported on that match for, for the Tennis Week web, website as well. So it was a nice moment for him, an important moment in his career. Not for Brad Gilbert, but for Brad Faulkner. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually yeah. both. Good for Brad Gilbert because his new charge got a win over his yeah. longtime best and they friend. Played, Andre and Andy played a great match, I think, in Cincy, like in 04 or something. Yeah. Dave, you can tell them about that one. Yeah, no. It, the problem was, David, they, they, they did. It was a great match. And Brad Gilbert on our podcast brought that up. Yeah. And it was one of their best matches. But the problem was that after Andy managed to beat Andre in that semi of Queens in, in 03, he did not fare well against Andre. And, and, and that was, I, that must have been frustrating because he's the one, he's the ascendant one. You're thinking that he's just hitting his prime. Right. So I, I would have thought he had, would have a lot of more wins over Andre than he did. And uh, it, it didn't play out that way. I guess he really sort of had his number for the most part. Great matches, but Andre would almost always find a way to win. Yeah. Um, all right. Hey, you guys have covered uh, so many matches. You've, you've watched so many matches as far as commentators, um, whether it's tennis channel, whether it's ESPN, whether it's world fee, what, what are some of the ones, Brad, that you really enjoy sure. listening to? Well, I guess I'll go. And by the way, we are on the tennis channel podcast network. So no, I'll that's, leave that cool. that's cool. <laughs> I think, I think I would go with, um, I would go with, I'll do it in reverse order world feed. Yeah, I haven't kept up with it, but Robbie Koning used to be on it a lot. Friend uh, of Steve's and has been on our pod. He was great. great. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. And I put with Robbie on the world feed. Um, oh, Steve, help me out. You know, I'm thinking of the British guy. Why am I blanking? Jason Goodall. Yep. Yeah, Goodall Jason and Goodall and Robbie, yeah, great Jason Goodall. Yeah, Jason yeah. and Robbie do a lot together, yeah. Yeah, okay, so I kind of lumped them together. And then on ESPN, uh, <laughs> I mean <laughs> – I think Brad Gilbert, okay, here's what I'll say about Brad Gilbert. His nicknames are so funny. I mean, I don't know how he does it. Sometimes I'm like, God, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? And other times they're not. But every time, I, I'm not going to use bad language because my mom might watch this, but they're so, mm, yeah, effing funny. I mean, and I'm just like, God, that's so obvious. And then other times it's so creative. And he does it like right away. It, and he's not cheating. He doesn't hear it from somebody else. So I love BG for ESPN. Tennis Channel, um, well, I guess, I mean, Jim Courier. I mean, on like Jim Courier, boy, man, when he's on, that's a... Steve, Steve has talked about Jim several times, his interviewing skills on court. I mean, very impressive. Very and and just uh, the analysis. And Tracy, you know yes. what? Let me give, for Tennis Channel, I'm going to give Tracy and Jim. I'm going to go, so I went two with, I'm going to go two with ESPN, I go with Patrick. So yep. I'd say Patrick and Brad for ESPN, Koning and Goodall for World Feed, and Tracy and Jim for Tennis Channel. And no, all equal. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Separate but equal. You know, like they're different, but all first rate. 
Steve, I know you agree with that list. Any others that you really, really enjoy that you well, like to I mean, add? There's so there's many. So, there's so many. I think both McInerney's in different ways. The industrious, enterprising, smart Patrick McInerney does his homework. He really is yeah. so thorough and professional. And then you have John, who can walk into that booth and probably maybe and just let it happen because oh, he yeah. can rely on his instincts better than anybody in the sport. And Fortunately for him, you know, he just sees the game well, which, of course, Courier definitely does. Courier, that's his strength, yeah. his vision. Oh, yeah. he, 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 Jim, again, Jim is like mm. Patrick in the sense of, of doing his homework. Uh, but, but he also feels the match so well, sees it so well. And another one who I think, and, and Chrissy and Martina are both great. And another one who I would single out because she's so studious and, and intelligent is Lindsay Davenport. Oh, Lindsay yeah. Davenport but for a soft-spoken woman, she really has a has a great understanding of the games. Very comfortable talking about the players and does it fairly and does it very insightfully. So I would throw her in there as well. And it's I would throw in one. Just, I mean, I mean, David, you and Steve could on the off season. It'd be a great podcast. You, there's so many people. Um, and I'd like. There's to one that I would one. like to add, Brad. I I think, um, and she's so fun. I mean, you whenever you talk to her, it's just a smile on your face. And you guys could all guess who it is, is Mary Carrillo. I love, I mean, oh, just God, yeah. hearing oh, well, her and we, we had her, it's just constant absolutely. smile. She just makes you feel. I would have mentioned so Mary. Yeah. I would have, but she's now with NBC more. Um, yeah. and, and then the U.S. Open, but yeah, no, Mary. No, she, over the year, over the year, she's been Jeez. magnificent. I think we, we oh, the three of us would agree on that. There's nobody like oh, her yeah. because she yeah. has this combination of a serious uh, appreciation of the sport, and then at, at the right times, an irreverence. It's, yeah, and she's funny. Therefore, yeah. therefore, she, you know, where she can use her humor, and it's a so great fun. Act. She's great, and she brings things out of her partners in the booth that no one else can. She, yeah. she, she doesn't make them uncomfortable, but she makes them think. Yeah. And David, if I could do this, I know it's going to sound self-serving, but I, I've recently tried to get more into this world of you know YouTube, like you guys do, and podcasts. Uh, I work for, or I do a podcast for a, a channel called Quality Shot Tennis. If he's on, he covers matches radio style. So you get to see him and, and the fans can interact. And he does a great job. It's like I, I tune into him because I don't get ESPN here or Tennis Channel. So Quality Shot Tennis, if he's on, he's a very skilled commentator. And no, thanks for sharing fun. that for sure. But I want yeah, to I mean, that for if sure. If you don't have TV, it's a great option. And Brad, I, I want to ask you, because you kind of hinted to it, you've been in Mexico for the last couple of years, right? You can um, see me sweating, right? It's so humid. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Give, 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 give us a feel of what tennis is down there. I know you. I know there's a few tournaments down there, obviously, sure. as we all know. But give us a yeah. feel for, for how the sport is down in, in that part of the sure. uh, world and, and the tournaments down there. And uh, yeah. The one in Acapulco is great, right? I mean – Man, it, you know what? It's, it's a rival of Indian Wells, but it's a little smaller. But it's uh, Indian Wells-esque, but more on the um, – because the matches start later, as you guys know, from the late finish, like 5 in the morning this year with Zara playing yeah, doubles, sure. I think. Was that the one where Zverev got in trouble this year? I he If it wasn't, he, it was the next what? one. But I think he it got was. in trouble. Okay. Yeah. It was. And that wasn't, that wasn't because of Mexico, just uh, – well, it was late. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that one's fun. And the hotel there is awesome. Uh, as Steve will tell you, when you get a tournament and the hotel's on site. That's why I said. You could walk from the hotel to the site. That's the yeah. best. That's the best. Like La Costa used to be uh, like Doha 
was. Oh, no, sorry, we had a short ride. Um, Scottsdale was that way. The LA um, tournament before it moved to uh, Carson was that way. So when players just walk out their room, um, David, and don't have to get transportation to go practice and play matches, they love it. So and like you yeah. said, the matches don't start at 10 a.m. They start at like 3 yeah. p.m., 4 p.m. Yeah. You know what yeah. else is like that too, yeah. uh, Brad? Is the, uh, and, and I actually had a nice walk over to the courts one day with Brad Gilbert in Melbourne at the Australian Open in 2017. And the, the yeah. hotels were all about a 10-minute walk from the, huh. from the facility. That's yeah. also terrific because you it, it, it's a little bit like people staying in the village at Wimbledon, but that's more complicated. Yeah. All the, the prime hotels within walking distance. You, you can't beat that. Yeah, you can't because you can't miss running into somebody. Yeah. And whether it's a, a rabid fan, or I don't mean rabid is bad, but I love talking to fans. Like they think I'm sometimes a coach. I mean, obviously I'm not, I you know, they don't know what I am, but I'm accessible. And I, I like talking with fans because it's cool. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, so Steve. <laughs> Nobody yeah, no, I agree. Hey, um, we, we can talk for, for, for hours on this, but we want to wrap up. Ooh, but, yeah, um, I, yeah. Well, I, know, <laughs> I know, I know you're good friends with Steve. You talk to him all the time, but, but we have him on live here before we end, you want to ask any question or do we let him off the hook and we, we say goodbye to this, uh, this episode, you got anything you want to ask him? Did I get to ask Steve? Yeah. You get to ask Steve, but maybe you haven't asked in a while. Well, <laughs> I hope you don't get upset. Did uh, Judge get it done yet? Judge got it done in the second to last game in his first at bat. He knocked one in, in, into the left field stands for number 62, Brad. One of, one of the more enjoyable sports moments outside of tennis that I've experienced in a long, long time. Can it compare to anything in tennis? What's that? Can it compare to anything in tennis? Because it's so historic. No, no, it, it's a different kind of history. I, I wouldn't be able to compare it because this is totally, maybe you compare it to say one of these great seasons, Navratilova losing one match all year long in, sure. in 83, sure. something like that. Or, or that when year. Pete, when, when Roger uh, got past Pete's slam record, right? I yeah, mean, 14, yeah, that was a first. 15, yeah. That way, or, or these guys now passing him. But I, I still think it's a pretty unique sporting moment. And, and it was just nice. What was so heartwarming about it, Brad, was that Judge is such an honorable guy. Uh, he's so well-liked. Sure. You see all of his teammates coming out of the dugout to, to hug him, and you can tell the affection is genuine. So, yes, he got nice. it done. But much to my relief, he got it done. Man, the New York Yankee fans are going to like this tennis podcast. we got to promote <laughs> this to some right. Didn't you start with that? David, you kind of started with baseball. I think we did, yeah. My dad, my dad, my my whole family's from New York. They're huge Yankee oh, fans. Awesome, so awesome. Well, I've got hey guys. Fun. Like I said, we could talk for hours, but this was a lot sure. of fun. I appreciate sure. Brad coming on, sure. and we'll definitely have you on again. I know we could talk. Uh, we could talk oh, all night. We appreciate sure. appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you very much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I was looking Thanks. forward to it. I'm glad it got. I mean, yeah. Please. Thanks, guys. Thank you.